Amen. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. You are the God who sent your only begotten Son into this world to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. And for that, Lord, we are so thankful, Father God. You are Lord God Almighty. You are El Shaddai. You are the great I Am. And thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you for your word, that your word that we're going to open up now, and we're going to be changed, we're going to be transformed, and we're going to be renewed. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the rain right now that we hear on the roof of this facility. Lord, thank you for the natural rain. And Lord, we pray for the supernatural, spiritual rain to penetrate our souls from heaven. Pour out your Holy Spirit in a mighty and great and magnificent way, even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And uh, if you have your Bibles open, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. And if you don't have your Bible, we got you covered. All the verses will be on the screen. Amen? How's everybody doing? Good. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm just, I'm just making a bold prediction. Revival is coming. Revival is coming. Don't let, don't, don't let what you see going on in the world right now take you down. We had the men's conference yesterday at Calvary Chapel Lexington. I, I don't know the number, but the place seats about 1,000, and I would say it was, it was packed from, from side to side, front to back, and just 1,000 men pouring out their hearts before the Lord, crying out to him. Uh, with our, and our plea was, Lord, let us be like Daniel. And Lord, let us bring revival to our churches and let us bring revival to our land so don't let what's going on in the media in the culture in the politics and all that googly garp don't let it take you down because god is going to do great and magnificent things in calvary chapel irmo and not just our church but we're praying for all the churches across the land that God will pour out his Holy Spirit and do a great and mighty work. Amen? So, here at Calvary Chapel Irma, we have been journeying, making our journey through the book of Hebrews. And this morning, uh, in your Bibles, if if it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, but look at verse 20. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come now if you were just reading through the book of hebrews and you came across that verse you'd be like okay cool that's good let's go to the next verse a a, a father is blessing his two sons praise the lord we're all about that but guys there is so much more to this one bible verse hebrews 11 20 that i gotta take you back there this morning i gotta take you back so that you understand what hebrews chapter 11 verse 20 is talking about so now Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27, and we are going to go read the account and study the account of, of Isaac and his interaction with his family. Genesis chapter 27. We're, we're going to go through the whole entire chapter this morning. A lot of verses, a lot of verses, but I'm going I'm to reach into Genesis chapter 27, and I'm going to grab what I, what I thought is deep, theologically deep and rich and what will bless us this morning in our walk with Christ today. So question for you this morning, what makes a family strong? What makes a strong family? We need to understand that. That's very important in our day and age. Is it love? That's important. How about money? That's important. How about success in life? That's important. But that's not what makes a strong family. Those are good things. Those things are good in and of themselves, but that's not what makes a strong family. What makes a strong family is a strong, solid faith in God for the whole entire family and a solid faith in the promises of God in every word that's written in his every word that's written in the Bible that we have a strong faith and a strong confidence in the word of God and in God himself and out of this solid faith 
that forms in our lives as we study the Word of God, guess what? There's benefits. And the benefits are wise decisions. Wise decisions. When we have the wisdom from God's Word and the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, it gives us that solid foundation. And in addition to that, in addition to having the solid faith in, in, in God and His Word, it leads to pure and holy living. And what I present to you this morning is the opposite of that. Is the opposite of that. In Genesis chapter 27, the title of my message this morning is The Tragedy of a Faithless Family. And then I'm going to finish the message with How to Guard Your Family from Being a Faithless Family. Fascinating passage. A fascinating passage of a mother, a father, and two sons. And what we're going to read in this chapter is what you don't do. Don't be like this to because it will wreck your family. It'll it'll wreck a godly family. And we all need we all know that as godly families, you know, our family is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a witness to the world. You know, it's husbands how we love our wives, wives how you submit and let your husband be the leader. It's all a witness to the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we want to do. So let's look at Genesis chapter 27, and uh, we'll look at verses 1 through 4. Genesis chapter 27, 1 through 4, deals with the father, and his name is Isaac. So let's check it out. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. All right, Isaac, teach us something. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am, Dad. I, I put that in there. Isaac said, Behold now, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. So what we have here in Genesis 27 in the opening is Isaac is deteriorating. Isaac is deteriorating. His eyes are going bad. We're going to learn in a little bit later. His taste buds are going bad. But, but he's, de he's deteriorating, and he makes this statement. He says, behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. My, my friend, the question I have for you this morning is, what would you do if you knew the number of days you had left on earth? What would you do? What would you do? I know what I would do. It's kind of what I'm doing now. You know, as a Christian living with an eternal perspective, I'm making sure that my life is right with the Lord. I am pursuing him with all my heart. I'm doing my very best to lead and love my wife. I'm doing my very best to lead and love and guide and nurture Emily and Daniel. I would be focused on eternal things. I would be focused on eternity. I would be focused on the Lord. But that's not, that's not where Isaac's focus is. Let's continue in verse 3. He says, now then please take your gear. He's talking, he, he's talking to his son Esau. He says, now then please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Where's Isaac's focus? Where's Isaac's focus according to what we just read? His stomach. His stomach. And let's be honest, guys, a lot of times that's where our focus is. Our focus is on our stomach and, and on our flesh. I like to eat. I don't know about you, but, man, I love going out to eat. I love taking care of myself physically. But that taking care of myself physically and my flesh and my eating and all the other things I do in life are nothing compared to eternity and to the things of the Lord See here, in this text, in this passage, verses 1 through 4, Isaac wanted to bless his firstborn son Esau. So when you read that on the surface, you're like, oh, wait a minute, man. He's wanting to bless his son. This is a good thing. Look, it says right there, at the end of verse 4, my soul may bless you before I die. Oh, wow, Esau. Uh, Isaac, excuse me, you're being so spiritual. But here's the problem with that, that statement I just made. Isaac is ignoring the word of God. 
even in that statement. He, he's ignoring the word of the Lord. In two chapters before this, back at Genesis 25, verse 23, we'll have the, the verse on the screen or you can turn back to it. But in Genesis 25, 23, the Lord makes something known to Rebecca. And this is what he says. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people will be separated from your body and one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Do you see how Isaac is ignoring the word of God, the prophetic word of God? No doubt uh, Isaac and Rebekah, as husband and wife, had, 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 were a family. Rebekah had shared with him. If you go back and study Genesis chapter 25, you'll see that, that Isaac is right there in the midst of her. So there's no doubt that he knew this prophecy, but yet he's choosing to go against the will of God and bless his older son instead of the younger son. And God had already spoken. God had already said, hey, you're going to bless the younger son and not the older. This is why application 2020 on what we just read, this is why it's so important that you and I study and believe the Bible. This is why it's so important that in church we open up our Bibles and we study it and we read it. This is why we focus on Wednesday nights. If, on Wednesday nights, we, we put a, a special emphasis on studying the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. We study the New Testament on Sunday mornings. It's so that you can know what God expects. How can you know what God expects of you unless you open up his word? You know, that's why the Bible is, is very important in church and in worship and in your daily life. It, the, the word of God, it does many things for you and for me. It informs us, it equips us, it leads us, it guides us, and most importantly, that Bible that you have in your lap right now that you're looking down at or possibly looking up at the screen, it will inform you and teach you what God's will is for your life. It's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Those come together and they reveal to you the perfect will of God for your life. And my friend, here's, here's another pointer based on Isaac for your life today. If you do not know the word of God, you will do the same as Isaac. You will do the same thing as Isaac and your focus will be on the flesh and not on the spiritual. No, no, no Bible in the family leads to the tragedy of a faithless family. And we can't make that mistake. And that's what the mistake is of Isaac. You know, y'all have heard the saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a very famous name that we call God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about Isaac, the guy in the middle. The guy in the middle. When, when, you, when, you, when people talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you think Abraham, Isaac, and, ja Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are these perfect, holier-than-thou men that are high in esteem, and they've lived this sinless perfect life or, or whatever in there they've got it all together but no that's not the case Abraham Isaac and Jacob if you study their lives they're just like men they're just like people just like you and I that, that were loving the Lord serving the Lord but they blow it along the way they blow it along the way but God restores them so Isaac is in the flesh now let's look at Rebecca verse 5 actually uh, verses We'll be looking at Rebecca, verses uh, 5 through 13. Verse 5, Rebecca, okay, Rebecca, what are you going to teach us this morning? <laughs> That's what we're, we're asking. Verse 5, Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now we've talked about Isaac. Now we're looking at Rebekah. And it's interesting because you know that Rebekah knew the prophecy. Rebekah knew the prophecy from Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, where she was, where she was given clear instructions 
on who was to receive the blessing. Who, it, was, it, was the, it was the older that was going to serve the younger, and the blessing was going to be passed down to Jacob. But, in, but come on, Rebecca, come on, help us out. But here's what she does. Instead of speaking the truth in love, what does she do? She takes matters in her own hands. And my friend, when we take matters in our own hands, we mess it up. We mess it up. As, you, as we read through Genesis chapter 27, this is a, a, another overarching theme. God does not need their help to fulfill his will. What we are reading in Genesis chapter 27 with the mother and the father and the two sons is they are just jacking it up. They are just jacking it up and getting in the flesh and getting carnal. Now God's sovereign and God's going to fulfill his plan and we're going to see it goes through as he planned as the prophecy of Genesis 25, 23 says. It's going to go to Jacob but not throughout the hard and difficult experiences that this family has to go to. So Rebecca's first sin, Rebecca's first sin, the first way Rebecca blows it uh, here in this passage that we're reading is she's going to deceive her husband. She's making an attempt to deceive the man that God has brought into her life and made to be her husband. Read to you a couple of verses on husband and wives and their relationship. Proverbs 31.11 says, the heart of her husband trust in her. He will have no lack of gain. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The NASB of, uh, I think it's the NASB of Proverbs. I, might, I either got the NASB or the ESV in my notes. But Proverbs 12, 4, it says that the shame brings rottenness. And I'm here to tell you guys this morning that deception in the marriage brings rottenness it wrecks everything that's why it's so important that we guard our families by speaking the truth in love and being honest and being transparent that's so important in our marriages give you uh, if you're taking notes the question I pose to you is, how do you protect your marriage from deception? There's many, many principles, biblical principles, that we could use to protect our marriage from deception. But I just want to give you three that Pastor David came up with in his study this week. Three ways to protect your marriage from deception. Number one is understand this, that a husband and wife are one. You're one. You're not two God says you're one. In Matthew 19, 5, Jesus says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Me and Irene are not two, but we're one. You and your wife, ladies and your husband, you are one. You need to look at your marriage from that angle, that you, that you are one unit, and you're doing life together, serving Christ. It's the most beautiful, magnificent relationship on earth, second to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the best relationship you can have. And if you don't have that relationship, you don't have anything. But that's number one. But number two is, is the relationship between a husband and a wife. But understand, you are one. Number two, we, we do a marriage class every year or so, and I think that's the title of the book, Love and Respect. Isn't that right, Deb? Yeah. Right? Yeah, there's a book called Love and Respect. And you got to have love and you got to have respect in the marriage. You know, husbands, we have to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He laid his life down at Calvary and gave his life for the body, for the bride of Christ. Men, we have to do the same for our wives. We have to love them, nourish them, and care for them the same way Jesus cares for the body. Wives, the scripture says, wives are to submit to their husbands. What does that word submit mean? It gets twisted in the culture. What? You know, people start arguing over, 
you know, men and women's roles in marriage. That word submit simply means this, and it's what every woman wants, and that is she wants a leader. She wants a leader, and when the scripture says wives submit to your husbands, it's basically saying this, let your husband be the leader. Let your husband be the leader. Every, every wife, every woman wants a hero. She wants a manly man who's going to take charge, take control, and take care of her. And that is so important in protecting our, our marriages from deception. Number three is, uh, this is very important, be transparent. Be transparent. Be authentic. Be real. Let's be honest right now. The only part of you that I know is the part that you've revealed to me. The side that you've let me see. And vice versa. The only thing you know about Pastor David is what I've let you see. It goes that way in all relationships. But let me tell you something. There's one person in this room. She knows my strengths. She knows my weaknesses. She knows my successes. She knows my failures. She knows me probably better than I know myself. <laughs> and that's my wife. That's my wife. And we got to be transparent. In other words, we got we to uh, share with each other our successes, our failures, our weaknesses. And when you're struggling, you know, the devil will want you to keep your struggle to yourself. <clears throat> he will not want you to share it with the Lord. He will not want you to share it with your family. But my friend, that's the right thing to do. When you have a struggle, when you're wrestling in the flesh, number one, take it to the Lord in prayer. Number one, take it to him. And secondly, be transparent and take it to your spouse. Take it to your spouse and let that one who is one with you pray for you and, and help you along the way. When we depart from biblical principles, everything becomes shaky. And I think that's what's, that's what's taking place here. In, in Genesis 27. So that was her first sin. She's going to deceive her husband. The second sin, oh boy, is found as we continue in verses 8. I'm going to give it to you up front so you can be thinking about it as we read it. But her second sin is she's going to lead her son in a deceptive plot. She's going to lead her, her son Jacob down the pathway of deception. Let's check it out. She makes multiple statements here or, or, or there's several emphatic statements here that reveal to you Rebecca's heart. Verse 8 of chapter 27. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Rebecca is commanding. She's not asking. She's not suggesting. She is commanding, and she is in charge. What does this tell us? This tells us, man, she is bent. She's bent and she's focused, and she knows exactly where she wants to go. She has no doubt in her mind. You know, she's already, she's already sold, she's already made the deal in her heart of what she wants to do. Her heart's becoming hard as she enters into this deception, but she's commanding, and she's in charge. Verse 9, go now to the flock. She's speaking to Jacob, um, the, the, the youngest son. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered, verse 11, Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me. Then I will be a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing do you see Jacob's heart do you see Jacob's mind and the words that are used in the text Jacob's nervous he, he's nervous and I, and I believe that Jacob in this verse he's a, what he's doing is what most of us should do which he's appealing to common sense he's, he's appealing to common sense it says, verse 11, his statement, he's talking to Rebecca's mother. Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and then I will be a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. 
In, in other words, he's saying, I might get caught. I might get caught. You know, that dude, my, my older brother, he's hairy. He's a hairy red man. And I'm smooth skin. What, what are we going to do? His mother has a plan for that. But at least, I want to give Jacob the benefit of the doubt, you know. As I, I, I want to I call balls and strikes when I see it in the text. And at least Jacob is appealing to common sense. And he, he's thinking to himself, man, deceiving my father is just too much to bear. Deceiving my father is too much to bear. And so it is. The thought of deceiving a family member will, will wreak havoc on your conscience. The thought of, of, of deceiving someone, it will hurt. It will hurt. But here's the deal. We serve a forgiving God. We serve a forgiving God and a God of grace and a God that restores and brings people back to completeness and wholeness when they come back to him wholeheartedly. But Jacob is nervous. Look at verse 13. It says, but his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them from me. What she's saying here to Jacob in verse 13, she is saying, obey me. Obey me at all cost. I don't care that you serve the God of Abraham. I don't care what the God of Abraham says. I don't care what uh, your father says. Obey me at all cost. And I'm here to tell you guys this morning, verse 13, your curse be upon me, my son. Obey my voice, she says, and go get them. If a parent, if a mom and dad tell you to sin against God, don't do it. You obey God in all situations. If a spouse, yes, a spouse, if, a, if your spouse tells you to disobey the Lord, to sin against God, don't do it. Obey the Lord. If the government tells you and I as Christians to rebel, to sin against the moral law of God, we say no. We will obey God rather than man in all situations. Our, our governing authority, we, we, we love them, we, we support them, we submit to the laws of the land in all situations except when that law of the land uh, breaks God's moral law. And in that point, we say no. We obey the Lord in all situations, above the government, above our spouse, above our parents. So that's our sin. Now there's one more sin. There's one more sin that Rebecca's partaken of. And, um, but the sin is not against God. Her sin is against Pastor David. And Pastor David, when I get to heaven, me and Rebecca are going to have a talk. And that sin that Rebecca is sinning against Pastor David is she thinks goat meat is better than deer meat. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. I almost started to bring a picture. I should, I should have brought a picture of me and Emily, one of the deers that we killed. But no, Rebecca, that's not how it works. Goat meat does not compare with deer meat. I love deer meat. I love venison and um, whether it's the back straps or the, the ground beef or, or the deer sausage, man, nothing compares with some good venison. But that's a side conversation between me and Rebecca when we get to heaven. Amen? Amen. Verse 14. Verse 14, now we're rolling into Jacob. We, 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 we've, we've looked at Isaac. We've looked at Rebecca. Now the text uh, directs us to Jacob. Verse 14. He says, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her youngest son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. She also gave savory food and bread, which she 
which she had made to her son Jacob. And all I can say, man, is, man, she's, she's got it planned out. She, she's got it. I mean, she's, she's, she is sold on the deal. She is going all out, and she's putting hair on her son's uh, smooth skin. But the thing that grabs me about Jacob, as we move on to the subject of Jacob, is this. Jacob has taken the bait. Jacob was struggling in that passage a while ago. Remember what he said to her? But, 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 Mom, he might find out. But now Jacob has succumbed to the deception of his mother, and he's bought the lie, and now he's following the sinful pattern of his parents. You know, when we, when we read the word of God, we, we ask ourselves as we study each and every passage, where is God in this? Where is God in this text? And where is God in the actions of the people that we're looking at? And I'm here to tell you this morning, God is not in this. God is not in this. God does not use trickery. God does not use deception. God does not use sin. It's put in the text as an example for us to see and for us to learn from. You know, that's what I love about the, the authenticity of Scripture. It, it, it gives us their successes and it gives us their failures. And what we have here is a godly family in the flesh. We have a godly family that's in the flesh and they're carnal. And another little proclamation I have, in case you don't already know this, but it's this. Godly families are not perfect. Godly families are not perfect. You know, we wrestle with the flesh. Pastor David wrestles men with the same thing that you wrestle with. I war against the flesh too. I have to daily submit myself to the Holy Spirit and get into the Word of God to have victory. Because pastors fall. Leaders fall. Elders, deacons, mature Christians who think they have it all together. Take heed lest you fall. You know, and we don't need to be prideful. Um, probably about two years ago. I don't know, it was a couple years. Two or three years ago, went to the Deep South Pastors Conference, Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain. Amazing conference. But we had a Friday night service, and Pastor Sandy Adams, who was our regional pastor in Stone Mountain, Georgia, you know, this, hold on, this sanctuary is filled, packed to the gill with men and women. And these are all pastors. These are all associate pastors. These are all elders. These are all deacons. These, this is the leadership of the church. And Pastor Sandy on that Friday night, he had an altar call. And he said, if you're here tonight and you have a wayward child, you have a child that's gone astray, you have a child that's fallen away, I want you to come down to the altar and we're going to pray for you. That side of the room became empty. This side of the room became full. And being a pastor, being a leader, and raising a godly family, and raising godly children is not easy. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. So when you see even a leader's son or daughter fall away, you need to pray for them. You need to pray for them. You need to show them grace. You need to come alongside them. You need to encourage them. You don't need to look down the barrel of your nose in judgment. Why? Because we go through the same thing that you guys go through as you raise your children in the ammunition of the Lord. As you, as you raise a godly family, you know, family members struggle. Family members wrestle. There's different dynamics going on in your family. Well, guess what? They're taking place in our family too, in all families and in all pastors. So please, Pray for our leaders. Pray for your pastor. Pray for his family. Pray for the elders. Pray for the deacons. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of you guys, and I'm praying for your families. You know, but when we journey down the path of lies and deceptions, it turns into a snowball effect, and that's what's going to happen in, 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 um, in Jacob's life. You ever heard the phrase, uh, liar, liar, pants on fire? You ever heard that phrase? That, that'd be a good description of Jacob, starting in verse 18. Verse 18, 
Um, he, he's on fire, but it's not for the Lord. Verse 18. Then he came to his father and said, My father. Okay, I want to stop right there. That one phrase right there in verse 18 in your text where it says, My father. That is the only statement of truth in the rest of the, the text by Jacob. That's, his, that's, the, that's the only statement of truth. Everything else Jacob says from here is a bold-faced lie to his family. He's, he came to him and said, my father. Okay, okay, Jacob, you got that statement true. That's, that's a true statement. Now let's continue. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to my father, I am Esau, your firstborn. That's lie number one. He was not his firstborn. Esau was his firstborn. Esau was out in the foot, field uh, trying to hunt a deer, you know, a, a man after my, my own heart, you know, hunting. But Jacob is not Esau. And then he says in the second half of verse 19, I have done as you told me. That's lie number two. Jacob hasn't done, hasn't done as his father told him. Jacob did as his mother told him in the deception. Um, there's, there's actually three lies in verse 19. And then he says, get up, please sit and eat of my game. There's lie number three. Jacob, this is not your game. This is, what your, this is the cocktail of your mother in trying to deceive your father. Uh, eat of my game, number three, third lie, that you may bless me. You know, I can't, when I read this text and I think about my own life, I can't help but to imagine what is it like to lie to a father? What is it like to, to lie to a father? And I don't know about you, but I, I think about, and I've lied to my father, okay? As a teenager, as a rebellious, head-banging teenager back in the day, I told a lot of, of lies to my parents growing up. But then, I got, when I, but then when I got saved, and I, I got my life in order, the thought of lying to my father was just a hideous thought. You know, I've got to tell my father the truth in all situations because this dude's with me for the rest of my life. I've got to tell the truth to my mother and, I, and now in my family. I have to speak the truth in love to Daniel, to Emily, to, to Irene. But this dude... This son, Jacob, is looking at his father in his old age in a deceptive mind frame, and he's just outright lying. I, I imagine, I would think within Jacob's heart, there's a lot of conviction taking place. There's a lot of warring taking place in his soul, and it's probably eaten him alive. Let's look at his biggest lie. His biggest lie comes in verse 20. Isaac said to his son, father says to son, how is it that you have so quickly, have it so quickly, my son? Jacob says, this is bad. Because the Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. There in verse 20. That's lie number four. And this lie in verse four is not only a violation of the ninth commandment, which is as you shall not lie, but it's a violation of the third commandment, which says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And what he's doing here is he is attaching God's holy name to his sin. And that's blasphemy, family. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, as I quoted a while ago, Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You see, blasphemy... And blaspheming God's name, the third commandment, is more than just attaching a curse word to the name of God. Blaspheming God's name is when you attach his name to a sinful action. When you say God is blessing and you fill in the blank with a sin, God does not bless sin, okay? God, God does not bless God does not approve, and God does not lead people in sinful actions. That is called blasphemy. 
some examples of blasphemy in today's world. A man and a woman living together, unmarried, having sex, and then them proclaiming that God is blessing their union. That is blasphemy. That is blasphemy when you attach God's holy name or you attach biblical authority to a sinful action. We had a previous president of the United States who was speaking in Indiana to thousands of people at a Planned Parenthood conference. And that president said this, and I quote to you, got it from his website, this president said this, thank you Planned Parenthood, God bless you. That is blasphemy because God does not bless the murder of the unborn. That is blasphemy. Let there be no doubt in our minds, in our hearts, in our faith that God does not bless sin and he's not leading us if our actions are sinful. Matter of fact, if our actions are sinful, the thing that he is doing in your life by the authority of scripture is he's calling you to a place of repentance. He's calling you to a place where you bring it to his throne of grace and you confess it. Where 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sins. God does not bless sin. He calls you out of sin. That's called repentance. It's where we turn from the old way and we turn to God's way and we turn to his word. But wow, verse 20, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Uh-oh, he's like, this, this, he's getting really nervous now. His father's wanting to fill him and check him out because he's having doubts. Verse 22, so Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him and he said, he says to him, are you really my son Esau? And there's the uh, fit lie number five in verse 24 uh, where Jacob responds, I am. It was not, he was not Esau, he was Jacob. And the plan was coming together. You know, there's, in verses 18 through 24, if you're taking notes, there are six statements made by Jacob, and only one is true. And the one truth is back in verse 18, where um, Jacob says, my father, to that, he's speaking the truth but the rest is deception. There's 41 words spoken by Jacob in this text, and only two are true. When we journey down the path of lies and deceptions, it turns into a snowball. And that's why in this text, <laughs> Jacob is on fire, but it's not for the Lord. It's called liar, liar, your pants are on fire. Now we know from the the rest of the scripture. He's a believer. He blows it. He's in the flesh. He repents and he returns back to the Lord. And God uses Jacob. Before you think that he's blown it, he's fallen away, God is going to smite him and, and push him out of the picture, that's not what happens. The promise of the Lord Jesus Christ came through the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant came from Abraham, Isaac, and then who? Jacob. So God uses Jacob to carry forth the covenant. It goes from uh, Jacob. Jacob's name is turned to Israel. Israel has the uh, 12 tribes. And Jesus comes from one of those tribes. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So God uses him. And it's not the end. If you find yourself in a place like Jacob, where you've just sin after sin after sin after sin, and you feel the guilt and you feel the condemnation, first off, the guilt 
is a great thing. Thank you, Lord, for guilt. Thank you, Lord, for convicting me of what I'm doing wrong and bringing me back to my place. But God, even after people fall away and blow it, if they will repent and return wholeheartedly to the Lord with all their heart, he will use them. In, in the Bible, I, I, love, I love the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Peter, Paul, all these guys, James, all these guys. The Bible is filled with imperfect people that got their life right with God and they were used greatly. They, they were used greatly. And no doubt, God ends up using Jacob. But in our text this morning, Jacob is blowing it. Just like if we're honest with ourselves and we look back at our Christian life, you've gone through seasons where you've blown it, where you've fallen away. Guess what? Pastor David has fallen away too. There's been times I got saved in the spring of 1992. So I didn't add up the numbers here. This is 2020. So that's 28 years I've been serving the Lord. I've gone through seasons of my life where I've fallen away and I've rebelled against the Lord. But you know what, though? God has brought me back by his grace, by his mercy, by his love, and by his truth. So when you see someone in this situation... Don't judge them. Pray for them. Pray for them that God brings them back. Because he does it. He does it with Jacob. Let's continue. Verse 25. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, and here's the prophetic utterance from the father to the son. Many people see the Abrahamic covenant being passed down to the son in this statement. Now, I'll point out some other areas also where we talk about the blessing being passed down. But um, Isaac says this, See the smell of my son. It's like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and bless be those who bless you. And thus it was God's will for the blessing to be passed down to the younger son and not the older son. And now Isaac is coming to a place, a prophetic utterance where he is pronouncing this blessing on his son Jacob. In verse 30, you look at it, it continues. And now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, this, this, this is... Um, Esau speaking, he says, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And look at verse 33. Big change coming here. It's coming crashing down. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? And yes, he shall be blessed. We've looked at the father. We've looked at the mother. We've looked at Jacob. And now we're looking at Esau. And in verse 31, verse 33, many commentators believe a transformation is taking place in Isaac's heart where it says there in verse 33 it says Isaac trembled violently that means to uh, that word tremble violently means to, it means to quake it means to shake uncontrollable it's spoken of, of mountains uh, trembling like a volcano and I believe and most people agree with this that this is where Isaac is coming to his senses and if you notice at the end of verse 33 at the end of verse 33, um, he makes a statement. The father makes a statement. He says, yes, and he shall be 
blessed. Remember the verse we opened up the, text, the sermon with in Hebrews 11.20? In Hebrews 11.20, which is our original study of going through the New Testament on Sunday mornings, Hebrews 11.20 says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Most commentators uh, teach, and, and I agree with them, that this in verse 33, where he's trembling violently, and he makes a statement at the end of verse 33, he shall be blessed. This is where Isaac is coming to his senses. You know, many people, you know, um, will look at this passage, and they'll be like, wait a minute now. We see the sin in the mother. We see, we see the disobedience in the mother. We see the disobedience in the father. We see the disobedience in Jacob. But where's the disobedience in, 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 um, in Esau? You have to go back to Genesis chapter 25. It'll be up on the screen, or you can turn there. But two chapters before this, this right here in our text of Genesis 27, this is not, that I repeat, this is not where Esau went wrong. He went wrong two chapters ago in Genesis 25 where it says, um, and Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthrights. Esau said, behold, I am about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And there it is, guys, at the very, very end of verse 34. What does it say? Thus Esau despised his birthrights. This, in verse in chapter 25, verses 30 through 34, this is where Esau went off the tracks. What does it mean to despise your birthrights? It simply means you consider it useless. useless. You, you consider it useless and of no value. And again, 28 years of serving the Lord, ministering to families, they're, they're, they're the greatest, the absolute, one of the greatest pains of being a Christian parent is when you raise your children in the ammunition of the Lord, you raise them up, but then later on in life, they walk away. What do we do in those situations? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. We lean not on our understandings and all our ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our path. We place, by faith, by faith, we place our children in the sovereign hands of God. And say, Lord, you've got them. That's what we do. But Esau, in our text, this Abrahamic blessing, this Abrahamic covenant, it's useless. He is so carnal, so earthly-minded. There's no spiritual thoughts in his mind, in his heart, and he despises it. This is where Esau goes wrong. And then here in our Genesis chapter 27 study, this is, this is just the deals being sealed. This is just the deals being sealed of what had already taken place in Esau's life. Verse 35, we'll finish this, this chapter up. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. It's, it's interesting when you read this. He, he gets defensive he starts defending himself. But when you go back and you read the text, I mean, dude, you're, you're, just, you're, you're, you're reaping what you've sown. You know, you're, you're, you're suffering the consequences of your decision and your actions. And in verse 36, he says, then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all of his relatives I have given to him as servants. 
and with grain and new wine, I have sustained him. Now, do you, do you see, first off, do you see the change? Do you see the change in the Father? Do you see his change? He has, he's had a complete change of heart since he trembled as a mountain trembles, as a volcano. Since he's trembled, we see a different, a different tone in Isaac's voice. I think I was at verse 37. Verse 37, but Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master. And he uses that word behold there. In other words, this was the right thing from the beginning. This was God's plan for all this to take place. Behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I have given to him as servants with grain and new wine have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me. I, I, can, just, I can just hear Esau crying, weeping, saying, oh Lord, please, father. They, they called him Lord back then. Father, bless me. I I've jacked it up. I messed up. In verse 38, do you have one blessing? Do you have only have one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, oh my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Esau wept. He wept for his oldest son. He wept for his son. He had seen the mistakes of his son. He had seen the failures. He saw the big picture, and he wept. You know, we take no joy when people make bad decisions. We don't say, ah, look at him. He did this, or, or he did that, and now he's, he's suffering the consequences. No, that is not the Christian heart. That is not the spirit-led heart. The spirit-led heart is... Oh gosh, our hearts break with you. Our hearts break with you. Our hearts hurt. And we pray for that brother or we pray for that sister in need. You know what? Dusty, when you rejoice, I rejoice. When I rejoice, I hope you rejoice. That's what it should be like in the family is we rejoice with one another and we weep with one another. Uh, verse 39. Then Isaac, his father, answers and said to him, and I believe this is a prophetic utterance of, 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 uh, of Esau's future. Behold, in other words, this is, this is it. This is the decree. Away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live. In your brother you shall serve, but it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. Family, I opened up the, the teaching this morning with Hebrews 11.20. I want to take you back to that where it says in Hebrews 11.20, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. Isaac had this trembling moment where he comes to his senses and he gets things right. God is sovereign, okay? God is going to fulfill his plan. And no man or no person or nothing can get in the way. He will even override uh, man's, man's free will. He will have his way in this world. But this is the account of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 20 of the father passing down the blessing and pronouncing the future of Jacob and Esau what a fascinating passage guys they weren't perfect and neither are we I told you I would I would um, also teach this morning on how to guard your family from being a faithless family how to guard your family from making the same mistake I want to give you three principles real quick for you to go home and meditate on. How to guard your family from being a faithless family. Number one, and, I, and I'm going to preface it with always. I'm going to put always on the front of these. And when I, when I preface it with the word always, that means it's ongoing, okay? This ain't a one-time deal. This is something you should continue throughout your life. But number one, always be pressing 
forward in your walk with Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. In Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, keep seeking. In other words, keep seeking, keep going. You've made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What do we like to say, Maurice? What's, the, what's my phrase? I'm putting him on the spot. Stay. Stay the course. Stay the course. Thank you, brother. But stay the course. Stay the course. Always be pressing forward in your walk with Christ, and you will avoid these mistakes. Number two. Number two. Always be honest and tell the truth. Always be honest and tell the truth. Make a deep commitment in your heart. Man, I'm, I'm going to speak the truth in love, and I'm going to be honest. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehoods, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Lying is a violation of the ninth commandment, which says you shall not lie. And we need to tell the truth in all situations. And it's, it's just doing the right thing. It's just doing the right thing. Some of us struggle with being honest. And some of us struggle with, with telling the truth. That's where you got to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, please help me in this area. Give me a heart to repent and give me a heart to speak the truth in love and, and, and do what's right. And realize this. We need to learn that lesson because when you tell lies, you know what you're doing? You're digging a hole and your lies will find you out. And I've learned that from the hard way. I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking from experience. From lying to my mom and dad and my dad doing the merry-go-round with me. You know what the merry-go-round is? That's where he's got one hand on one arm and a belt on the other one. As I'm running from it. You know, you're digging yourself a hole. Always tell the truth. Number three, the final one. Be authentic. Always be authentic. Be real. Be real. You know, you're looking at the chief of sinners this morning. You're, you're, you're looking at, at a wretched man who's been saved by grace. And a brother comes up to me and says, man, I'm struggling with this sin. And then they look at my face like, what kind of reaction is he going to give me? Like, is my jaw going to drop? My jaw will not drop. I put my arm around you. And I say, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let me come alongside you and help you. And let's, let's, let's walk out of this sin. Let me, let me help you. We're here to help each other. But be authentic. Be transparent. Be real, man. If you're struggling, say I'm struggling. If you're having a difficult time, say you're having a difficult time. Nine times out of ten, if you're struggling, your friend, your, your, your brother in Christ is struggling also. Or a, a, a woman is struggling. And nine times out of a ten, her sister is struggling also. Be authentic. Love God. Love God with all your heart. And, and love your family. Love your, love your spouse. Love your children. You know, I, I, may, I challenge you this morning. Man, we need to let husbands, we need to let our wives know Wives need to let their husbands know. Husbands and wives need to let their children know. We need to say, hey, there is nothing more important in this life than you knowing God. You know, challenging them. You know, talking about the blessing. You know, we want, I want your life, family, to be blessed. I want your family, I want you guys, I want y'all to be blessed. And that blessing comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and me encouraging you to walk with him, to serve him with all your heart. And, and, but, but, we, but again, we, we, we got to be authentic even in our pursuit of the Lord. You know, guys, you're struggling with sin. You're having a difficult, difficult time. Come to Bible study, man. Come to Bible study and let us love on you. Let us show you grace. Let us nurture you in the word. And let's be authentic and let's be real. And let's help you get your life where God is calling it to be. Amen.
Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this study. This is a family that we've learned a lot from, and, and we've seen the blessing being passed down. So let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the study of your word. Lord, it's been food for our souls. And I just pray, Father God, that um, as we move forward in our individual families, in our relationships uh, between husbands and wives and their children, Lord, that we'll seek the greatest blessing of all. And that blessing is loving you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and then loving our families, serving you and serving our families. So, Father, thank you for that, Lord. And let that blessing of serving you permeate our entire life. In Jesus' name I pray.